this uh, series, Kingdom Confidence, last week we talked about the confidence, the strength that we derive from the belief in the perseverance of the church. That is, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what's going on around us, we know, we're confident that there's a group of people, the church, who are going to inherit God's fixed eternal kingdom. And I shared some stats about the reality of the faith shaking in our country, and yet we know the more we attach ourselves to what is unshakable, God's kingdom, the more unshakable our faith, our confidence will be moving into the future. Now this week, we're finishing out the series in Isaiah 40, looking at the confidence that we can have in and derive from the sovereignty of God, that is God's supreme power. Because when we talk about God and we talk about this unshakable kingdom, it's not just something that's future. It's something we're already in the midst of on the other side of Jesus and his ministry. Remember, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He didn't say it's going to be given to me in the future at some point. So yes, we have this future kingdom that we're moving toward, but we have to remember in the present that God is supremely powerful today. And that should shape for us as Christians our entire lives. It should change the way that we experience every season, every chapter that unfolds, every news headline that we encounter. Every single thing should be run through this filter of understanding God's supreme power. Now today, as we turn to the book of Isaiah, again chapter 40, uh, we're going to hear from Isaiah speaking to a group of people who are going through it. Now Isaiah he was a prophet. He was sent by God to speak God's truth. And, and man, he saw some things. All right. He, he went through the ringer. Uh, and maybe you feel like you're going through the ringer right now in the world. He went through the ringer. He lived in a time of God's people in decline. He was alive for a long period of time uh, through four iterations of kings of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, the fifth, uh, he was executed by. Tradition says he was sawed in half. All right, so when I said he, he saw some things, he went through some things, he really did. He really did. That's bad. That's bad. He's rewarded. He's, he's good. But, uh, you know, the, the nation of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, fell and, and was de defeated and exiled during his time as a prophet toward the kingdom of Judah, which was the southern portion of God's people. And during these different reigns of these different kings, you know, there was constant threats of wars and trouble that was going to befall that kingdom as well. And all of it was really due, the prophet was given this message to share, uh, it was due to God's people's unfaithfulness. So everywhere he's going, he's going around in a time of trouble and it's a lot of negativity. He's speaking judgment. So not a great role to have in the world. And yet, that wasn't the only message that the prophet brought. He brought a message also of encouragement to the faithful because there was a small portion of God's people who were faithful in the midst of all this. And just think about trying to be faithful in a time when everything is falling apart around you. You know, there's all these threats of war, these messages of judgment of what God's going to do. There's spiritual and political just disaster and chaos, and there's just moral corruption everywhere you look. You know, what, what kind of message do you need to receive in the midst of that if you're still faith-filled, if you're still trying to walk out the journey with God when everything is falling apart? Well, let's read 
a message of encouragement given to Isaiah for those caught in the fog of the trials of this world. And that's very appropriate this morning. Every day, for the last couple of days, we have this fog, right? And it's like there's this one part of the day that's the fog, and then at some point it burns off, and it's like a whole nother day. Doesn't it feel that way? You roll around to like noon, 1 p.m., you're like, whoa, the day just started. No, the day started. It was in the fog, and then it burned off. Like, this is a message that the prophet is being given by God to burn off the fog of the experience that they're having so that they can have this vision, this new vision of their supreme and powerful God in the midst of this nasty world. Let's read together. We're going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to go through this a little different today. I want to read a small portion at a time and unpack it because sometimes when we read the Old Testament, sometimes when we read the writings of the prophets, You know, there's so much here. It's so dense. So I want to just walk through it slowly so we can understand this message and and the and the building thoughts that the prophet gives to us by God's voice. Verse six, chapter forty. The verses will be on the screens. If you want a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will pass one to you. Verse six, a voice says, Cry out. And I said, This is Isaiah, what shall I cry? This is the message. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pause there first. A voice from God told Isaiah to speak. And the prophet says what a true prophet should say back to God. Tell me exactly what I'm supposed to say. You know, tell me, give me the download so that I know what I should carry on to the people. And God directs Isaiah to put the human experience into perspective. And this is the first moment where the human experience is going to be put in perspective, but the whole of Isaiah 40 is going to put our experience into perspective. And, and we're going to find that we have a limited perspective. We get trapped in our experiences. Have you guys ever stubbed your toe? Is there anything more painful in the entire world? There's nothing more painful. It's an all-encompassing pain that lasts three seconds. And then on the fourth second, it's gone and you don't even think about it again. But for that three seconds, well, that's the whole world, right? You guys ever get a flat tire? Your whole day is ruined for an hour and a half. Your whole day is ruined. You know, your whole day isn't ruined. An hour and a half of your day is going to be ruined. But in that moment when you're trapped in it, your whole day is ruined. Have you been sick for a week and you feel like you'll never be well again? You'll never be well again. I don't even want to go on, you know? Many of us have been sick in the last couple of years for a good solid week. And man, it's like that's all you know anymore is sickness. Have you ever lost your job for two months and not known where you're going to work? During that two months, it was all-encompassing. You didn't know how your life was going to go forward. And then when you got the job, it's like you forgot it, right? I mean, that's just an example. There's all these different experiences that we have that when we're in the midst of, we can't see the other side out of it. But you have to step back. You need perspective. If you could have perspective in the midst of those experiences, you could keep your cool, right? And when we take the grandest view 
of the human experience as a whole, not stubbing your toe, I'm telling you, to add up everything in your whole life, and you take the grandest view from God's perspective, he says, all people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The Lord blows on them, and they're gone, and they're gone. I just completed my second or third round of installing sod. I can't even remember anymore. My second or third round, I've lived in our home for four and a half years. It's, like my, it's probably my third time. I don't want to say it because it takes a lot of work and it costs more money than it should to put in a lawn. And uh, I, I'm, I'm the one who does it. So I know what it costs physically, time, money, all that. On my third round, it's lasted like four months. It's dead. Yep, yep. And, and, you know, I should have talked to Brock from the beginning because he was a landscaper by trade. And he says, well, you know, it just, that kind of grass can't be stood on. The grass can't be stood on. The grass. I have human beings who like to use a lawn. In my household, we have children. The grass will be stood on, but anywhere, yeah, he's right. I mean, the part that's in the corner, thriving. The part that you use and see, dead, dead. It's here, it's gone. It's here and it's gone. That's what God says of us. We're here and we're gone. The best of us, our faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. It's like the annuals that you pick up at Home Depot. They're annuals because they last a year, and then they're gone. They're here, and then they're gone. That's us. The Word of God, by comparison, endures forever. It was spoken before you and I, and it will be long after this passing moment that you and I are. All right, whoa. Great message of encouragement for the faithful who are struggling in the world, right? We'll just close the book, come back for the barbecue. You know, that's it right there. Now, let me continue. Because just because we're short-lived and small and insignificant doesn't mean that God doesn't care for us or our experience. Look on in the message, verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, this is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. And do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with his mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. Pause there. God tells the prophet, let everyone know, go up high, raise up your voice, make this known, make it so that everyone hears, don't worry about your own well-being, don't worry about the resistance that's going to come against you for saying it, this is who God is. He is powerful. He is alive. He has a reward for those who seek him, and a recompense accompanies him. A recompense, not many of us think about what that word actually means. It's compensation for harm. It's payment on the other side of a loss. 
That's what the prophet is telling the faithful from God. I'm coming. I'm here. I'm powerful. I'm sovereign. I'm above everything. And I have a reward for you. And I have compensation for your loss. Now, some of you have experienced unimaginable loss. This is an important thing for you to hear. This recompense is like in your workplace, right? A lot of you, you work for a reward. In fact, that's probably 99% of you. You work because you want a reward. You want to be paid a salary. If the salary isn't good enough, you say, I'm going to go work somewhere else. I'm going to get more reward, right? But there's this other side of your job too. There's this reimbursement for the losses that you incur along the way. They say, yeah, you got some expenses on your business trip. We'll pay you back for that. And some of you, in your faithfulness to God, you know, you need to hear that it's not just this reward that's reserved for you. There's this recompense. There's this compensation for the loss along the way. And so many of you who've had these losses, you say, God, God, how could you let that happen when you're in the midst of that loss, when you're in that experience? And the answers to those questions are as varied and as complex as all the scenarios that have played out across our community of tragedy and, and harm and trauma. And when you're in that place of loss, you say, God, how could you let this happen? And really, I think the question beneath that question is, God, now that I've experienced this, where will I find my peace? How will I ever be whole again? And God says, don't give up. I'm coming with my reward. I'm going to bring wholeness from your losses in ways that you can't even, from your perspective, imagine. You see, God doesn't abandon his faithful. He doesn't neglect his sheep, though they may be small. He tends to them like a shepherd. Think of the shepherd's In Luke chapter 2, when the angels came to them and announced the birth of Jesus, where were they? Where does it say? It's very mundane. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Where were they? They were tending to their flocks at night. Doesn't that give you insight into the role of a shepherd? When God says he cares for his sheep like a shepherd, do you understand that shepherds were with their sheep all day long and all night long to feed them? to protect them, to guide them. God is that to his people. And the lambs, the little ones, the vulnerable ones, and recall that in the Gospels, Jesus calls us, his disciples, the little ones, the vulnerable ones. He says he holds them close to himself. He picks them up and brings them against his heart. He carries them in a gentle way. When we were on our RV trip across these nine states, we stopped at this alpaca farm in Idaho and they had these baby goats and the lady there that runs the ranch taught us how to pick up the baby goats and I picked up a baby goat and my wife cried that's how cute that's the power of the baby goat okay that's separate but when they teach you to pick up these baby goats you go between the legs between the legs you cross over and you bring them to you You're already crying. You're tearing up. (laughs) But that's the image. That's the picture God tells the prophet to carry to his people. That's the way I am going to carry and pick up those little ones, the vulnerable ones, near to my heart with gentleness. 
And Isaiah then moves to help the faithful see the world as God sees it, to give the fly above, to give the perspective. You see, they can't see God from within the weeds. Their grass, their flowers fade and fall. Okay? It's like you can't see the air show when you're looking down at the ground. You're not going to see a whole lot. But that's where life takes us. Life takes our perspective down into the weeds. You know, you're not going to see him there. You're not, you're not going to understand where you are near to his heart. You're not going to see how powerful he is. You're not going to keep your eye on that reward and that recompense unless we get this change of perspective, unless we see the world, unless we see life as God sees it. For in verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? This is that grander perspective that the prophet is trying to give to the people. You're in all this trouble and you think it's this big deal. You know, you guys just, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow, but I care for you. And I have this reward and recompense. Do you know who I am? I hold the oceans in the hollow of my hand. I just was thinking about a couple weeks ago as I read this, I held up my hand to my daughter Tallulah. She's five years old, and her hand stretches this far across my hand. And I just was talking to her about that. You see how small your hand is in my hand? And, and she's mini for a five-year-old even. But man, her hand just like that. And then you think, God's hand the hollow, he said, who can hold the oceans in the hollow in the small part? Who can mark out the heavens with their hand? You guys ever measured anything with your hand? You go over here, you're like, how, how wide is that? And so you take the measurement like this, and then you, okay, stay, carry it over, and your hand shrinks. And you're like, that wasn't right. And you go back over here, huh? And then you're like, why does my hand keep doing that? It's a horrible way to measure things, but it was the only way to measure things in the ancient world. They didn't have tape measures. They didn't have rulers. So they had this form of measurement called the cubit. It was from the elbow to the fingertip. I'm sure ours are not the same length, but that was that person's cubit, all right? And that's how they would go around and measure things, was from that length from their elbow to their fingertip. And, and this isn't a wild way of measuring things in human history. That's why horses are measured in hands. You know, when they come up for auction or you wanted to, you know, sell livestock, how many hands is that horse? And, you know, people in that industry still like that term, you know. I thought we progressed, but we're, we're, we're still using hands to measure things. But that's, that's the point is. They would understand that, like, that's how things are measured. And he goes, who measures out the heavens? the expanse with their hand. You know, from here to here is 10 billion light years. It takes light traveling at the speed of light. 10 billion years to traverse from here to here. Can you do that? Can you mark that out? Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket? Like a kid, you know, filling up a bucket of sand at the beach. You know, all the dust of the earth, whoop, you know, and go for a walk. Who's put the mountains on the scales and put everything in balance? Who can fathom the Spirit of God everywhere at once? Who can instruct Him as if He received His wisdom from some human source? And yet, 
we try. I know I try. So many of us plead with God. We, we say, God, this is what should be done. This is the way the world should go. If I were in your shoes, this is what I'd be doing right now. You know, and that's the way we want life to go according to our own understanding, which is so limited. But who would sit God down like a father would sit down a son and say, hey, God, in actuality, let me give you the path to enlightenment and understanding. No one can. Because verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all nations, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. The nations, the threats that these Israelites were experiencing, the armies, the rumors, the governments of man, these kingdoms that were larger than the kingdom of Judah, they're a drop in the bucket. They're dust on the scales. They don't even move the scale. They don't even change the measurement in God's eyes. The, the nations are that. And yet, even to this day, and certainly in that day, how many conspiracies and worries and the, and the news and the word on the street regarding them and how much people feed off of that, what is it to God? Verse 16, he says, Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. What does that mean? Well, Lebanon in the ancient world was famed for its forests and for the fact that it was teeming with wildlife. And God says, even if you lit that whole forest on fire and you turn it into one giant Old Testament sacrifice barbecue, barbecue on the mind today, that would not be enough. That would not be impressive to me if you lit that whole nation on fire. That wouldn't be a sacrifice that attains to my level. So what is he saying? He's saying you take the best qualities that these nations, the strongest traits that they have to offer, and you place them before me, and it's like nothing. Because all the nations, all of them together, are nothing, worthless, less than nothing before God. Remember that for our own. You know, we put all this stock and all of our confidence into the future and direction and legacy of our own country. And yes, I will advocate to my dying day for this country because I believe I'm advocating for God and for the people of this country. Okay? It's about the people of this country. But what is the country in itself to God? Does God look at America and go, oh, wow, you guys are wealthy? He say, oh, you have so much money. It's so impressive. Does he look at our nuclear stockpile and he's like, wow, you guys could blow up a lot of stuff. That is really impressive, the amount of power that you have. Does he look at our government documents? Oh, I know this is touchy because some of you, to a certain degree, oh, these are inspired by God. These are, you know, they're derived from Christian values. Whether they're more derived or less derived from Christian values, what do our government documents have on the Word of God? What are they worth next to the Word of God? As you go, wow, I've never heard that before. That is so impressive. To us, it's all very important and influential. It matters for our lives, but to God, it's less than nothing. If you have a pastor who tells you the stuff of this nation is everything, stop listening to that teaching. 
You might say, this is God's country, though. Don't you understand that? God's blessing us uniquely. Okay, back when this was written, it was received by the Israelites, the literal God's country. Okay, these are the people literally chosen by God for a purpose in the world, selected from among the nations. And what does God say to them? All the nations are as less than nothing before me. So God is gently coaxing the faithful here who are caught up in this mess. He's saying, what are you guys afraid of? Why are you getting so spun out by the news and the rumors? Why are you clinging so tightly to things? Do you think everything that's going on right now is tough for me? Do you think I'm struggling right now with all this as God? It's a drop in the bucket. It's dust. It's nothing. It's worthless. It's less than nothing. Do you have a vision of me, an understanding of me, or have you made me small and powerless in your minds? As Isaiah continues here, verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering, they can't afford the metal worker. They select wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. What Isaiah describes here was the common practice of the unfaithful of God's people and all the nations that were surrounding Israel of putting this ridiculous belief and endowing power into these idols, these inanimate objects. You've got metal workers who are, by the way, just people, casting an object, and they're more than happy in this industry. I mean, it's an economic industry, you know, churning out these idols. So they're more than happy. Yeah, sure, all cast is that you want gold on it. You want the chains to go right here. And then someone goes away and says, okay, now I'm going to pray to that, and that's going to give me the strength I need in this world. That's going to protect this household. But, you know, there's a sliding scale for idolatry in the world. Because the poor, they can't afford the gold and they can't afford the metal worker. So they go and they search high and low for a piece of wood that's not going to rot. I've got to find something that's not going to fall apart because all the power and all the security and confidence is going to come from this thing. And then they get this craftsman. And they want to pick a good craftsman who can carve it in such a way that it's not lopsided and won't fall over when you put it on the mantle. Because who wants a god that falls over and can't sit up straight? I mean, that, that's, that's where they're at spiritually. You know, I got to make sure the bottom is flat so my God's okay. Of course you're worried. Of course you're afraid with everything going on when your God is that. When your God is that, there's no power, there's no confidence. There's nothing to have faith in. But it's the same thing to this day. You know, people go, oh, there's no way I'm going to get into God's Word. I'm not going to listen to the authority and teachings of Jesus. I'm going to go buy a crystal. There are shops in Orange County selling crystals and objects of power that are going to give you healing. They're going to give you a different atmosphere in your home. They're inanimate objects, everyone. Inanimate objects that have no power. When you reduce your God down to that size, you think your worries and your fears and your concerns and your well-being is going to be improved? But it's the same thing that we do with our material objects that we spend all this money on. It's, a, it's another form of idolatry to just pour all your heart and intention and wealth into your home and your design. Or to take 50% of your disposable income and 
wasted on an exotic car. There's tons of people in Orange County doing that. And when they've reduced down the power and the significance and the meaning into those objects, well, of course, they're going to live afraid. Let's see what God actually is compared to these idols. Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps away them like chaff. This is who God actually is, not some lopsided idol on a mantle that can't stand up. God is enthroned. The people are like insects before him. The heavens are a one-man REI backpacking tent for God that he spreads out and it cannot contain him. The most influential, the most powerful, the most beautiful people of this world are as nothing before him. You can take the most, you know, powerful political figures, the most lauded celebrities, the objects of the most derision and hate that we have in this world and the people we parade around like heroes, and he says, they're here and they're gone. They're such a big deal to you. They, no sooner do they have their roots in the ground and I just go, whew, and they're gone. And they won't be considered again. They're going to be forgotten. For who is God's equal? He says, no, nobody's going to. People can set themselves up in pride. They can make the narrative of the world about them. They're going to be gone. Lift up your eyes. Change your perspective. God is speaking to his faithful. That's what he's been speaking from the beginning, but he's saying it right now. He's saying, look up to the heavens. Get a different perspective. This world is a mess. And your world may be a mess. But look to the heavens. Who created these stars? Who calls them forth by name? At our men's gathering, we got into small groups at the end of our time together. And one of the questions that we were to discuss in our circle was, what is one of your favorite childhood memories? And unfortunately, a theme in our circle was, it's very hard to come up with a favorite childhood memory, i.e. not great childhoods. So, you know, these guys are sitting here like, you know, scratching their heads like, what's a favorite childhood memory, you know? And they start opening up somewhat about the difficulties of their households. And then one says, you know what, the, the thing I can remember from my childhood is a good memory. I remember being 11 years old, looking up at the stars and knowing there was a God. Out of a life of pain and trauma, an 11-year-old knows enough to look at the stars and be comforted with the truth that there is a God. Because of, one, because of God's strength, not one of those stars is missing. I named him. I call him forth. He knows everything that's going on up there, and he knows everything that's going on beneath him. He's more than aware of everything, though we fret and worry just as they did. Verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. 
He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. In verse 27, we're finally getting to the heart of the matter that God is responding to literally in His people. Isaiah says, you're worried about your cause being disregarded. You have this fear that it's just here, us, on our own, left to figure it all out by ourselves. Don't you know? Don't you know? Haven't you guys yet heard? God is from beginning to end. He is not tired. He is not afraid. He is all-powerful. And He cares. He knows what He is doing even if we don't know what He is doing. It's not for us to instruct Him. It's not for us to worry. It's for us to derive our strength from Him when we are weary. To gain power from Him in our weakness when the world gets us down. He says even young people, idealistic and energetic as they are, get tired. Man, I know this. I was more tired at age 25 than I am at age 35 because of the circumstances and pressures and maturity in my life. I was worn out. But he's saying, don't look for the answers for the resources that you have from within yourself. Derive those resources from me. The prophet calls his people. Remember, he's supposed to get up high. He's supposed to shout this from the mountaintops so everyone can hear, soaring God instead of sinking. Run instead of letting yourself grow weary. Walk with Him and you'll be sustained until that reward and recompense is yours. I have three principles that I want to leave you with as we consider Isaiah 40, as we finish out this Kingdom Confidence series. Number one, the circumstances of our world which appear all-encompassing are less than nothing. Maybe very hard to hear for some of you, but it's true. The circumstances of our world which appear all-encompassing are less than nothing to God. And because we're inheriting His kingdom and we're joining with Him, they're going to be less than nothing to us, even as they appear like everything to us today. And a little distinction here. God doesn't say, you and I are less than nothing. Yeah, we're like the grass. Yeah, we're like the flowers. Yet He chooses to care for us like a shepherd for his sheep. So it's not that we're less than nothing, but the circumstances, the drama, the powers, the influences, all that stuff is less than nothing. We either believe that God is in control, that he has power, or we don't. So many Christians for the last several years have been living like the kingdom of God is a cliffhanger. Like, oh, 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 is it going to work? Is it going to work? Is it going to work? It's going to work. It's not a cliffhanger anymore. On the other side of Jesus on the cross, victory is assured. Victory is won. It is playing out, and you and I will be inheritors of it. It, it, it. We don't need to sit here and go, oh, God has disregarded us. Let's all figure this out for ourselves. And, you know, I'm going to crack every code of everything that's going on in the world and everything that's going on behind the scenes, and we're going to regain control of this world because it's out of control right now. Our world is out of control. God is in control. 
He never fails to be in control. You got to take everything with a grain of salt. Like literally, everything is a grain of salt in the hand of God. And that's where our confidence is going to come from. Number two, the degree of confidence and faith you feel will be defined by your vision of God. The degree of confidence and faith you feel will be defined by your vision of God. If the circumstances of this world and the dramas of this world and of your own life are larger than your vision of God, then you will worry. Then you will fear. And that is going to be common to all of us. We're all going to be tempted into that. The disciples are a perfect example of that. I'm not saying, hey, snap your finger, have this other vision of God. But a lot of times when we get into a difficult circumstance, we're going, how do I get myself out of this? How do I calculate the answers? And really what we need most of all is to get a vision of God is to get a different perspective, and then we'll understand the things that we're in the midst of. If your God and your security and your wealth and your value is all wrapped up in your house or in what just happens in your workplace, I mean, of course you're going to be thrown off balance by the things that are going on around you. That's like a little idol on a mantle that can't even stand up. But when you look to the heavens, when you see and you consider the God who can mark out the universe with his hand, you get where that confidence and that strength is derived. In the midst of that, though, there's still going to be some questions. Number three, we may not get answers to all our questions, but through faith we'll be granted enough strength to endure them. You know, God didn't lay out exactly why everything was happening the way that it was for the Israelites. And he's not going to map out everything for us. And as we go about life, we do encounter unimaginable losses. And there isn't always a clean answer for those losses. All we have is this promise of God. He says, I'm coming with a reward and with recompense. The way Paul talks about it, he says, I don't consider our present sufferings worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed in us. A really offensive statement for some people who've experienced some intense suffering in this world. It's not even worth comparing my hurt, my pain, my trauma with the glory that's about to be revealed. If we understood the glory that was to be revealed, we would understand what Paul is saying. But because we haven't tasted it and we're on this side, we end up with all these questions about our experiences. God's understanding is so far beyond our own. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He doesn't dismiss our questions. He's addressing the questions of the faithful. But he's not answering them away. He's giving us and them the strength to endure forward until the day of reward and recompense when we will understand. I want us to step into a time of prayer and ask for the simplest of things to ask for faith, to ask for increased confidence in the Lord. Not for today, not for this next week, not for this next season of life. I'd love to see the branches community. I'd love to see Christians in America take their faith to another level of maturity that we hold and that we stay at. But these understandings that we've talked about the last four weeks don't leave us the next thing that hits us. But we're prepared for the next thing that hits us with a different perspective a new understanding of God that we can walk forward in. So I want us to ask for that gift of faith from the Lord. Would you you take a posture prayer with me this morning? 
Heavenly Father, that's the simplest of things that I'm asking for. It's the most difficult of things at times in this world, being caught up in it as we are and experiencing it from our limited perspective. Say, from your view, I mean, everything, we're just like grasshoppers. You don't treat us like a grasshopper. You treat us like this sheep that you, that you love, that you hold close to your heart, that you guide gently, that you promise reward and, and healing for. But yeah, God, that's, that's how small we are. That's how small it all really is. The nations are less than nothing to you. The, the princes and the powerful and the influencers of this world, you just seem like they call the shots. They don't call anything. They're here today and gone tomorrow just the same. So God, help us to understand your greatness, the great expanse of who you are. Who could search out your spirit that's everywhere, knows our mind and heart, who we are more than we know ourselves all across the world, able to know everyone, Lord, who would consult with you, who would give you understanding. We have so many questions. We want to tell you how it should go. And yet, Lord, we don't know. We really don't know so much. So God, help us to be comforted and strengthened. We don't have the resources in ourselves. Even the best of us, the strongest of us, are going to run out of strength if we run this race alone. But God, you can renew our strength. You can make us soar in a world that really at times can be a total disaster. We can walk. We can run. We won't be weary. So Lord, bless my brothers and sisters with faith this morning.